It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants Mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. Thanks so much for tuning in. Lance Meadow with you. We got Paul DeTino and Howard Cross as well with you for the next 60 minutes as we get set for Broncos Giants Week 1 at MetLife Stadium. The phone number, 201-939-4513. You can also find us on Twitter, hashtag GiantsChat. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So we are inching closer to the first meaningful game of the season. But tonight, football will officially be back as we'll have the Cowboys against the defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Tampa. So we will actually be able to consume football this evening. Very exciting times. Gentlemen, how are we doing this afternoon? Hi. You mean NFL football. I've consumed yes. a lot of football this week. Well, weekend. of course, yes. College football has started off. Roll Tide. Absolutely, yes. Go Notre Irish. Dame, you know, I've, 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 I've consumed tons of football already. But I should know, have specified. Shame on me for not being specific <laughs> to begin this program. Because you are well ahead of the curve, Howard, compared to the rest of us. We're it's, all trying to play catch-up with you it's when right. it comes it's, to football. It's all yes. right, Lance. You're just a little short-sighted. I know, yes. Well, what can I do? Well, I will try to raise my game both literally and physically over the course of this program i can at least try to make that promise start this season off right there okay absolutely (laughs) you've completely set the tone correctly don't worry that doesn't mean i don't have time to catch up and get back at you i'm just throwing out the warning here okay it takes two to tango my friend the last time i checked okay from that standpoint but we will certainly delve into an awful lot i want to start guys with the coordinators who spoke to the media earlier today, then we'll get into some of the injuries in terms of what we saw to practice yesterday. But you had Jason Garrett, you had Patrick Graham, you had Thomas McGahee. I thought one of the most interesting takeaways was Jason Garrett was asked about Saquon Barkley and Kadarius Toney. Not that at this point they're going to lay everything out on the table, but, Paul, I thought Garrett did indicate, similar to what Joe Judge had mentioned the other day, which is... It's not so much about the volume of plays with Tony in week one because of COVID and the injuries. It's more about the production. So it's possible that they have a set amount of plays. And once again, this is me reading into what Jason Garrett had to say. They're not going to shy away from utilizing him, but they're going to try to make the most of maybe a limited group of plays as opposed to a high volume right out of the gates. Well, because of the hamstring and also the COVID, Tony was very limited during training camp in terms of his participation and what he could do on the field. However, he was certainly in the classroom and did all the bookwork study and all the tape study that they needed. And from what we've been told, he did pick things up rather well. So they will give him some portions of the playbook. I don't expect it to be the entire enchilada, so to speak. <laughs> but, but I think it's pretty fair to say they will have a specific role carved out for him. He will have certain plays. I mean, look, if you think about what the Giants have at wide receiver— with Galladay and with Shepard and with Slayton, Tony really right now would be the fourth receiver on the depth chart anyway. Mm. And I think Howard would concur. You know, you're not going to play four wide receivers on a ton of plays Sunday. You'll have some four four wide sets, mm-hmm. but not a ton. I think more than that, I think that you have to think about it as far as health-wise. I don't think that, that it has anything to do with, uh, you know, how many receivers we have or, or whatever. I think it has to do more with – 
if you go from stationary to explosive, you know, it, it, it you're, you put a lot of strain on whatever it was he was hurt before. Uh, game speed is definitely different from practice speed. And since he didn't really have practice, he's going from, you know, uh, training and uh, rehab speed to game speed. I think they'll have limited plays for him. They're not going to let him get tired out. And I don't think, not saying that he's out of shape, but not, you know, when those muscles fire that hard, that quick, it takes a few minutes. It's, it's not baseball where you go from standing still to a sprint to try to catch a ball or something. You you go from standing still to like getting hit and running. So it, it it's a big difference. So they got to like ease him back into, as they say, you hear a lot, people say this all the time, football shape. It takes time to get in football shape, especially for guys that are super fast. You know, guys that are like me that are, we were you know waddling around the field. We were, <laughs> we were in football shape half the time. But guys that that can like go from zero to sixty, they need to be tuned into that. Howard, you just raised a really important question, I think, and that is we think of Tony as a potential kick return guy, specifically mm-hmm. on punt returns more than anything else. In fact, T Mac. Thomas McGahee, the special teams coordinator, was asked about Tony, and he said, oh, he's terrific on specials. He knows how to handle the ball. He mm-hmm. knows what he's got to do. He cuts well. He's, you know. But from what you're saying, in terms of the physical 0-60, to 60, mm-hmm. you think it's harder for a guy who's been limited during training camp to play those 10 or 12 snaps that he may get as a situational receiver, or is it harder for him to be thrown in as a kick returner where he has to make that instantaneous acceleration? I, I think it's harder for him to play the plays because, uh, and the reason why is that, it, let's say he catches the ball in the flat, they, they're going to try to give him the ball in space. It's not like they're going to throw him deep every time. They, they got Galladay and everybody for But if they're trying to give him the ball in space and then he has to run after catch, that's where the explosion happened. If you're a kick returner, you might get two opportunities, and you usually get maybe 10 yards. If you get 10 yards, you did a great job. Most of the kick kickoffs are in the end zone, you know, and if they're trying to kick it off to you, that means they're going to have the coverage on top of you, so they're trying to catch you inside the 20. So it's not really an explosive play. Unless something absolutely goes wrong on coverage, then it's an explosive play because you're gone. <laughs> but for, for, for him, you know, the, the question is going to be, hey, we're trying to do this. Uh, we'll we'll run the uh, you know bubble screen on the outside and try to get you the ball. We'll run the under, we'll, we'll run the reverse, uh, which is like a really a, a pitch, but they call it a pass because you're throwing it in front of them. Uh, underneath uh, and all these little things that when you catch the ball, you're like coming in pretty much at a hard stride, and all of a sudden you touch the ball, you're at a burst of speed because it's your you know speed is supposed to make the play work. Mm-hmm. That's what will be hard, and I'm and I'm sure that because that's what he did in college, that's what they're doing. Oh well, we saw him do this in college. We'll try him doing it. It's, it those are where he can catch, he can you know catch that ham or quad or whatever else he may have pulled because that's going to be from zero to sixty really quickly. And once you do that, then all of a sudden you're out multiple weeks. Yeah. Because well, the last thing you want to do is play under those circumstances. I think the other thing related to what you were talking about, Howard, in terms of the speed and also the level of adjustment, remember, Tony did not play in any preseason games. So Sunday is going to be his first taste of the NFL, period, at any stage. Yeah, that's what so, I was So, you know, that can't be overlooked. Yeah, but that's what I was saying, Lance. I was like, he's going from the training bike and, and training drills yeah. to football. Like he, he missed, like I said, training camp, he missed practice. You know, forget about the preseason game. He, he, was, he wasn't even practicing. So if he's not practicing, it, it's a big jump in speed and a, and, a, and a burst. It's a really big jump. So it's going to be interesting to see. 
Yeah, that's why it wouldn't surprise me if they don't necessarily treat it like a baptism by fire. They ease him in. Remember, when Odell Beckham missed the first four games during his rookie year, they didn't all of a sudden throw an entire group of plays his way no. in that game. I believe it was against the Atlanta Falcons, Paul, mm-hmm. if memory serves me mm-hmm. correct. He was limited. Yeah. So I'm not saying they're identical, but I would think that it's a similar approach in terms of what the Giants will do with Tony. I want to switch to the defensive side of the ball. Patrick Graham, this was his first opportunity to lay out the land with respect to the Broncos, but one of the things he brought up, which is something he also brought up at the early stages of training camp, he was asked about where he feels his defensive unit is at this point, and he said, if there's anything I'm a little bit worried about, it's our run defense. And part of it was because of how you practice and how things are orchestrated. You don't really have a great ability to work on run defense as opposed to other facets was his point. And this is on top of the fact that Dalvin Tomlinson has left in free agency and you're looking to see who fills in that void. But he's going up against a Broncos team, Paul, and he realizes you got Melvin Gordon, you got Javante Williams out of UNC, Mm -hmm. who was a nice one-two punch with Michael Carter. And I'm sure he's saying to himself, in terms of gap integrity, that's going to be an area to monitor and watch because you want to put more on the plate of Teddy Bridgewater in this game. You don't want all of a sudden them to get comfortable on the ground and then more and more manageable third downs for the veteran QB. I thought it was funny listening to Coach Graham this morning when he said that the Broncos really have a variety of ways that they can give you problems because he said that, in his opinion, Pat Shermer, the offensive coordinator with the Broncos now, we all know him here from the Giants, Uh, does still want to stress the run game first and that they can hurt you a lot on the interior of the field. But he also said, much like Coach Judge said the other day, that their passing weaponry is about as good as anybody's in the league because he said they have several players who can run right by you. They've got that kind of blazing speed that Mm -hmm. they can get you behind you in a hurry. And he said the other thing is they also have more than one guy who can go up and high point the ball. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, you put all those things together, they stress you. Well, yeah, but, you know, let's look back at the the quarterback situation. Teddy Bridgewater, phenomenal, you know, uh, person, great guy. Not this huge deep ball thrower. He's not. He's not. not. So so we're going to eliminate that portion of the game. If someone gets a deep ball, they're just wide open. Uh, So I think that, you know, after watching the preseason and watching these guys in practice, the run game, is a concern. It's a concern for the simple reason of uh, most teams when they started the preseason, they gashed them. And I know it wasn't a starting defense, and I get it, but they did gash them, yeah. uh, having to stop them on the edge, having to stop them up the middle. And then once they got going, you know, they, it was it's good. I think if the Giants are going to like have like success, they've got to make this a, a dirty game, a, a muddy, sloppy game. It's got to be like a 10-7 game or something like that. I know fans don't like to hear that, but at, at 10-7 – it's probably a giant win because it was a sloppy game. If it becomes a high scoring and Teddy Bridgewater's throwing the ball over the field, that's going to be a little interesting. So, you know, and as far as the run game goes, just, you know, play your gap. And that's what, that's what you know, Pat's saying. Pat's saying, like, they, they got to play their gaps. They got to be in position. And they've done pretty good. Like I said, it's going to be interesting to see all the first guys in there, all the first safeties, all the first D linemen, all the first linebackers, and everybody holding their gap. Howard, do you think the offense or the defense has to adjust more to start getting hit at regular game speed? Because we all know that during training camp, they don't do a lot of hitting, and a lot of these guys didn't play a lot of preseason snaps. I think that the the entire NFL as a whole is going to see a big change this year. 
And I think that, you know, as, as you guys have been talking about probably what's going on with the Giants and, and watching other teams, and I watched as many games as I could possibly watch, I, I saw it. And this, uh, this none cut and no below the waist outside the tackle box is really going to stress and change the game. Because if you can't cut a guy to get a guy down on the edge so the guy can run and you got to play him straight up, you know, a big tackle runs out there, you're like terrified he's going to roll at you. <laughs> Especially people, if you're yeah, Lance. Yeah, like it, it, <laughs> like it was like, oh, my God, he could run over me. No, he's not going to run over you. He's going to roll over you. He can't do that anymore. So it's going to be in- interesting to see what angles guys are going to take and how they're going to, and how they're going to start playing against it. So it's going to put stress on the inside play of the linebackers. Because once you get on the edge, you got that tackle out there running, basically running with his arms wide out, trying to make sure you, you just scare you or something like, oh, bear, bear, whatever he's going to be doing out there. Uh, and the DB is going to try to figure out how to get to which side he's going to take to get around him. He's not going to run over him, of course. So that's going to be a big change in, in offenses and defenses around the league. And it's going to put a lot of pressure on the, the strong safety because he's going to be coming inside out to make that play. And it's going to put a lot of stress on the Mike Backer who's going to be coming inside out to make that play. Mm-hmm. If they can get to the edge, it's going to make a big difference. So the, the question that you're asking, if to answer your question, it makes a, it makes it hard on both teams right now because neither team has any experience. <laughs> they had a little experience because they tried it in practice, but no one's really thought about it. And I'm watching it to see what happens. I watch it in college. They're cutting guys down on the edge. People are mm-hmm. running wide open. I'm like, this is awesome. You get their pros, and no one's getting That's cut. That's not happening. Yes, it's going to be interesting to see how this works. Yeah, because it'll be a feel-it-out process in the early few games for players to pick up how the officials are honing in on that, you oh, know, it, whether or not it, it, they're putting it under the microscope. You've seen it already. They, they've, sure. thrown, they've thrown yeah. flags. Anybody that goes low on the outside has caught a flag in the preseason. So mm-hmm. it's it's there. The rule's in place. So it it cha- believe me, it changes a lot of angles for running backs. And it changes a lot of angles for DBs. So the guy that's going to play force now has to stay on the outside. That means the inside guys have to make the play. If you get to the outside, if, if a tackle or a pulling guard gets to the outside or even a tight end or whoever gets to the outside on you, you are you could run 100 yards and no one would touch you. <laughs> Lance, <laughs> so, should we notate right here that Denver's rush defense, specifically on the interior, mm-hmm. has been soft for mm-hmm. a while and is not expected to be very good this year? Well, let's, let's hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, remember, they did have some injuries last season. They've had some movable parts. And here's the other thing. Von Miller, and I know you're talking more about the interior, but Miller is also known for his ability to stop the run. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about him getting after the quarterback. It's about him also aiding up front in terms of being physical and clogging some holes. So the fact that they didn't have him, what that means to help the guys on the interior because of the assignments he has on the exterior, I don't think you could dismiss that and overlook that. That could very well change how they execute on the interior I think, heading into this season. Yeah, I think, it's, I think he's going to have a better year because you can't cut him. Yeah. Look, he's, he's going to line up outside the tackle box and make you – make you make a declaration out there and you if you can't cut him like he's just gonna be running wild out there yeah and to Paul's point the Broncos run defense did struggle last season there's no doubt about it but once again they have a completely different secondary and they have we're talking about a fully healthy Bradley Chubb and Von Miller just to give you the numbers rushing defense for the Broncos last season was 25th in the NFL they gave up 130 rushing yards per game now on the flip side the Giants were tied for 10th they gave up 111 yards but one of the things I wanted to piggyback off of Howard that I think you were alluding to in terms of the rule changes as well as what they're specifically the Giants going to go up against in week one, the Broncos have very physical runners. 
And mm-hmm. that, I think, needs to be highlighted. Melvin Gordon, a big back, a guy that can absorb contact. And Javante Williams, who I referenced earlier, if you look at what he did at UNC, this is also a guy that's sort of like built like a linebacker. Mm-hmm. He welcomes contact, and he'll take guys with him because he's a very versatile player. So this is why tackling and bringing guys down at the point of contact is so important because these two guys, if you don't get them at the right angle wrapped up, they'll carry you for an additional two to three yards. And that may be putting it politely. Yeah, terms of those terms well that's true but you know the the, the premium is going to be and i'm sure pat's been talking to his guys about this everybody to the ball like sure. if they can't cut you there's no need for you to be like running around to play out there get to the ball and if everybody gets to the ball good things are going to happen and that's what's going to be you, you're going to see a premium on that not just for the giants but from everyone but it's going to be get to the ball get to the ball get to the ball get to the ball since no one's going to be on the ground anyway not in the secondary not on the edge you can get to the ball so everybody should be hustling to the ball so it's going to be you'll see I think the run game, if in theory, should be a little less this year than it was last year across the league because, again, if you can't cut anybody, there should be more people out there standing around for you to run through. Can't stiff arm everybody, hit Derrick Henry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eventually when they have three or four guys in your vicinity, the chances of you getting out of that probably are slim. 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants chat. You can hit us up on Twitter as well. Before we open up the phone lines, Paul, the one thing that I did want to give a layout of the land to is the injury report. And I know we're not going to find out today's level of participation until later today. But as far as yesterday went, a lot of guys took part. But pretty much everyone of note, with the exception of Evan Ingram, who did not participate, is listed as limited. So, you know, this is going to be another sign, a step in the right direction. And Friday will be the ultimate indicator. But the fact that these guys get out on the field in at least a limited capacity is certainly encouraging news for a number of guys that had been nursing various injuries. Well, they were in full pads yesterday, Lance. And that was a big step, too, because it was the first time this week that they had gone full pads. Remember, they did shells uh, the other day on Monday after coming back from the couple of days off. Now, Coach Judge himself was very specific in saying, I need to see guys, These when he's talking about the walking wounded, okay, I need to see these guys get through three solid days of practices and see how they feel before I know whether or not they're going to be available on Sunday against Denver. And he was very, 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 very specific about that. It referred to Galladay, it referred to Barkley, it referred to Tony, you know, all these guys, uh, Lemieux, Caden uh, Smith, guys who were listed as limited on yesterday's injury report. Simply put, they're still in ramp-up mode. And once these three days of practices are complete, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Howard can tell you they'll do a walkthrough on Saturday, and by that point, Coach has probably got his mind made up as to whether or not they're going to play against the Broncos. Well, you know what he's doing? He's testing them to see, like, okay, go practice, uh, especially the padded practice. Then it's like, okay, how do you feel? Like, And it's not how do, it's how do you feel after practice. It's how do you feel after meetings after practice. Then it's how do you feel the next day when you show up. And it's like, okay, let's try it again. Let's, let's see how much more we can do. How do you feel? Because it's 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 super important, especially this week, how they feel. I mean, I know it's the first game of the season. I get all that. But next week, they play Washington on Thursday. So you need to know how they're going to feel, how they're going to feel, how they're going to feel. Because after the game, they got to ask them again. Hey, guys, I know it was a game. How do you feel? Can you make it? Can you be ready by Thursday? And so it, this is why it's, it's really important to know how these guys are going to do it. So 
do you play all these guys this week? Do you try to test them this week and then come up shorthanded the following week? Or do you, you know, mix and match? It's going to be very interesting to see how they work this out. I get the sense, though, Howard, that there's a lot of optimism for all of those guys, mm-hmm. with the exception of maybe Ingram, because, again, he didn't work yesterday. Mm-hmm. He's further behind the curve. Okay. I, again, my, for me, and I'm, and I'm speculating, I'm not, you know, not, not, not being a Giants fan or not overanalyzing, you, you know, Lance, they have Denver, then they have Washington four days later. Yeah, quick turnaround. Yeah, and it's not like Denver one o'clock. It's Denver four o'clock, sure. <laughs> right? Yeah. So no, all of that has to be taken into yeah, consideration. So, so yeah. It's it's a it's a big ask. Like, and it, it it's a you know I know coaches like asking the guys and the guys, what player in his right mind doesn't say like yeah I can go, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, I'm ready, and that's why you have to protect us from ourselves because we constantly think we can go and right. we can, you know and, and I think guys still do that. So it's gonna be interesting to see. And remember, they're the road team for that Thursday game. So that limits in terms of what you're going to do on Wednesday as well, as opposed to whether or not you're the home team too. So, you know, how many other opportunities you're going to have to see how guys recover and bounce back the next day. Interesting, that's something though, else. Lance, that you say that because when the schedule comes out, that's one of the things that I always look at in terms of the logistics of where and when they're going to play. It is better when you're a road team like the Giants on a Thursday night game. You only have to take that short train or maybe the short little puddle jumper to Washington, as opposed to, let's say, you were going to Seattle on Thursday. That would be a bigger deal. It's still a big deal, and this is why. So you have all these guys right now that are nicked up, that are coming off these injuries, trying to get them into the first game. Then, you know, you would have basically Monday would be the tape and rehab day. Tuesday would be a rehab day. Wednesday would be a light practice, but a rehab day. Thursday would be a rehab day. Friday would be a rehab day. Saturday, you're coming in to get you know iced up one more time for rehab, then you play on Sunday. Now you don't have that. You have right. Monday rehab, yeah. Tuesday rehab, yeah, but Wednesday Howard, travel. Yeah, but here's, the, here's the thing, though. It, but Judge, he wants to go two days ahead on everything that is west of the Mississippi. So if you were going out to play Arizona yeah, or but, Seattle or any of the L.A. teams yeah, but that doesn't matter for a for, Thursday game, I know, you'd be leaving on Tuesday. I, that makes things more it, difficult. Yeah, it does. It does. But it doesn't, right? matter, it doesn't matter this scenario because these guys are banged up already. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I understand yeah, that. Yeah, that's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about how we're going to get through these first two weeks, which is a very interesting schedule. <laughs> It is because of the close proximity of the first two games. And then, of course, the division rival coming off of the Broncos game. Don't miss out on the return of New York Giants football. The 2021 season is now underway, but there is still time to secure your season tickets and root on your Giants here at MetLife Stadium. You can speak with a Giants ticket representative now and become a season ticket member by calling 888-NYG-1925. Also, Giants fans, taking all the action of New York Giants football from your very own private suite. Giant Suites are a great way to entertain the family and friends while rooting on your Giants here at MetLife Stadium. Speak with a Giant Suite representative now by calling 888-NYG-1925. And Giants fans, on September 26th, you can watch the Giants retire Eli Manning's jersey in style against the Falcons. We are offering an exclusive suite package, which includes Eli bobbleheads, jerseys, T-shirts, and more. Speak with a Giant Suite representative now by calling 888-NYG-1925. And for that... You need to select option number four. And one last important note, the Delta variant is spreading quickly in all areas of New York State. People who are not fully vaccinated are at greater risk from COVID-19. 
Protect yourself, get vaccinated, visit ny.gov slash get vaccinated or talk to your health care provider. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino, Howard Cross with you. Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We are getting you set for the Giants and the Broncos week one at MetLife Stadium on Sunday. Let's open up the lines. Rick is in Tampa. He gets us going. What's happening, Rick? Hey, guys, Lance, Paul. What's up, Howard? Hey, uh, I just wanted to yeah, Paul, I, mean, I just want to jump on real quick. Give my, uh, I had a question about Tony, but uh, also about uh, a quick bold prediction. Uh, my bold prediction I'm going to start with because it comes on the heels of how disappointed I am with our Yankees and with how they've let me down. It's really waned into my Giants' thought process. And I, I feel that this game coming up against Denver with the unpreparedness of a lot of our star players and offensive line woes with their defense coming into uh, MetLife, I think that the Giants, unfortunately, will lose, and I think it's going to be a, a kind of really ugly. Nineteen to three, we we won't do much of anything, and all the all the issues of last year are going to come to surface. So I hate predicting that, but that's my bold. Prediction. You really are down, and, aren't you? Boy, the Yankees yes, must I, be bad. I, I got to go to the Yankee game tonight, so if it's not <laughs> raining, so I'm, I'm, I don't know what I'm to think about now. <laughs> <laughs> so unfortunately, that's my. Uh, that's my bold prediction. Hey, that could happen, too. We all know that deep down in our hearts. That That's how the Giants could come out with everything that's gone on this preseason, with the, the guys not playing, offensive line problems. So I uh, hope it doesn't, but that's my prediction, 19-3. And um, Kadarius Tony, they were talking about yesterday about how he may just do some punt returns or something because it would be less, uh, I guess, because he wasn't prepared. But I'm thinking, isn't that, like, harder to – run back a punt against all everybody just trying to kill you versus doing a couple slant patterns and, and away he goes. So that was my question. No, I, I, I was talking about that a little bit earlier. Th- thanks for the call. I was yeah, talking about that a little bit call. earlier yeah. and we were talking, and I was telling Paul that, you know, as far as, as uh, the return game goes, you fair catch a lot of things. True. And, and it's not so much, you know, you catch a slant, you're expected to be go hit a burst and be open and to run after the catch because you're out there one-on-one most of the time or maybe two guys. If it's like everybody barreling down on you, you usually just fair catch it and go on to the next play. It's more dangerous for him to be from from a soft tissue standpoint, not just football standpoint, but it's more dangerous for him to be out catching the ball, going like I said, the bubble screen or coming underneath, uh, catching that little flip pass to, to run to the outside because that's when you've got to be running at 1,000 miles an hour. Those are the times that he's he will be more at risk. The the return game is just getting him kind of the feel and the flow of being out there and you know some of the excitement. If they put him, if you see him run out of the huddle, that's when you should be holding your breath. <laughs> <laughs> Let's head back to the phone lines from Rick in Tampa. We go to Rick in New Jersey. What's happening, Rick? Hey, how's it going, guys? Hi. Um, yeah, actually, I'm in Ocean City, Maryland, right now on vacation, and it's uh, kind of nice. a dreary day. Enjoy. Go to the golf Hello, course. Lance, Lance, Paul, and Howard, right? Yep. And yes. one-time listener, second-time caller. Before I get started, I want to let you guys know my first call was kind of a negative thing a couple of years ago uh, when all that was going on with Odell and his contract, and I kind of put Paulie and uh, Russ on the spot. I want to apologize about that, Paulie, because I was watching, and you just went into this blank stare, and I was like, oh, man, I upset him. <laughs> um, <laughs> you got to remember something. I'm Italian. It's not hard to upset me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but 
but anyway, guys, um, yeah, I was listening yesterday to David, and um, he was kind of talking about how Teddy Bridgewater, he's going to be like kind of like a point guard uh, for the offense, kind of like, you know, not, not trying to do too much, just kind of managing it, um, and he's low on turnover ratio. Um, I, you know, I kind of think that, you know, Daniel Jones and, and the Giants overall should take uh, that kind of mentality, and, and things will open themselves up. I mean, with all these playmakers, I mean, you know, Barkley being back, obviously he's not going to get a full load. we got uh, Tony Galladay is going to be playing. Obviously, you know, everybody's a little banged up. But if you just play that kind of game, I, I see nothing positive coming out of it. Even if, say, we lose doing that. You know what I mean? Uh, like, even if everything's a punt, no turnovers. You know what I mean? Something will come. Something will happen. The defense will make a play. What do you guys think? Well, I think, to be honest with you, most people would probably tell you that the winning team may not have to score 20 points on Sunday. I don't think that's a stretch. I think I think you got two pretty good defenses, and I think they're going to, like I said, it's going to be a muddy game. Uh, even though it's on the turf, it's going to be a muddy game, and they're going to try to figure it out. I, I think Teddy's, Teddy's advantage of, of not having turnovers is great, but he doesn't really you know stretch the field with the ball. Whereas Daniel will stretch the field with the ball, but you know, you know the chance of interceptions comes with that. I think that they're going to try to make it a muddy game. Look forward to be uh, running a lot of running on both sides, and you know throwing sparingly at best. Yeah, because there's risk reward when you take the chances down the field. You could get the good, but you could also get the bad. And this is a Denver secondary that's completely different from what they showcased last season. And you got a lot of opportunistic players on the back end. Here's the other thing about the Broncos. The Broncos did not have a very good turnover ratio last year. They're actually dead last in the NFL, minus 16. That's the one emphasis that Vic Fangio and this coaching staff is telling these guys this year. They want them to take a little bit more chances. They want them to be much more aggressive. So you got to be careful in terms of the fine line you walk if you're Daniel Jones when you know you're going up against a hungry team that has a much different approach than they had last season. So I think running the football is going to be crucial for both teams. And I think Teddy Bridgewater coming from a Minnesota offense where he was with Pat Shermer. I know he was hurt in 2017, but if you go back, they had Case Keenum as their starter. They had Latavius Murray and Jarek McKinnon as their running backs. Very similar in terms of what you're working with in Denver in terms of the personnel. I think they're going to look to test the Giants' run defense early, try to get an early lead, and this way they'll wear down the Giants. So the Giants certainly, I think, should take a similar approach where they don't necessarily have to go for the home run early. Well, you know, Lance, if you bet big, you, you win big and you lose big. So if they're, if they're playing gambling on the outside uh, with the DBs, then there's going to be some open with the double move. So just watch them both. Sure. Yeah, it's going to come. It's going to come, you know, as long as they play that way, you know. And, hey, who knows? They might, they might come out with the bomb first play of the game. I mean, that, you know, that would also surprise – that would surprise the hell out of me, but I've seen it happen. Um, I've seen Garrett do it with the Cowboys. You know, yep. um, but yeah, guys, that was really all I, you know, I, I listened to the show just earlier today uh, from yesterday and I, I had that, I really wanted to say like, you know, it was a really good point about uh, Bridgewater and how he does that. And also you got to remember last year with all the tur- turnovers, that wasn't Teddy Bridgewater. Um, so I don't know. I'm excited guys. Uh, can't wait. Um, I can't wait to watch tonight. You know, Tom Brady, <laughs> hopefully game. All right, Rick. Appreciate the phone call. Thanks for the call. Well, and his last comment is because Drew Locke was the quarterback last year. So a lot of of their turnovers, of course, were with him under center where it wasn't Teddy. That's more of a reason why really week one, and I think, Howard, you were alluding to this, it's really 
the game of the unknown a little bit for both teams. And that's why games can be muddy and sort of grinded out because Mm -hmm. so much has changed for a lot of teams across the league. And we've had a lot of quarterback changes, by the way. Almost half the league has different starting quarterbacks, whether it be because a guy retired or they went with the younger option in the draft. So when you have a lot of turnover at that position, all bets are off because clearly the offense is going to be dependent on the decision-making of the guy under center. So Denver, to me, is front and center with respect to that category. Should be, like I say, it should be games. And it's also Pat Schumer coming back to, to, to New York to, to try to, to yeah. coach against his former you know employer. So all that kind of factors in, too. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this works out. Let's head back to the phone lines as we move along here on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Jason is in New Haven. Jason, welcome to the program. What do you got for us? How you guys doing? Very good. Doing right. What's on your mind? Thanks for taking my call. Good. I just want to talk about two points for the game and to get your guys' opinion. Um, so basically, I can't believe I'm saying this, but um, I know Ingram made the Pro Bowl last year. Um, and I think a lot of people are down on him, but I think – he would have been a major factor in this game. Uh, I, I don't think he's playing on Sunday. Um, but if there's one weakness of Denver's defense, I guess it's the middle of their defense, which is their two middle linebackers and their two interior D tackles. And I think Ingram would have did a lot of damage um, against the middle of their defense. Kyle Rudolph can um, do that damage, though. Don't sell him short. Right. Yeah. yeah yes, I, I get that. Ingram, I mean, um. Rudolph and Caden uh, Smith, I think, will do damage too. But, you know, Ingram just has a little bit more of that juice. So I think he'd have had a, um, a great game. And my thing in saying that is, as it stands, I think we should be really run heavy in this game. I'm thinking 60-40. Um, if Denver does have a weakness, like I said, it's their two interior defensive tackles from what I can see. So I think Booker's going to have a big game. I'm sure Barkley's going to have a limited snap count per se. Um, so what do you guys feel feel about that? It's, you're, you're preaching to the choir. We're, we're pulling for the for the run game to, to be the, the big jump off. But we'll, we'll see. You know, like I said, uh, Dem- Denver does have like a soft interior. I think that the tight ends will have a, should have a decent day uh, playing in the middle of the field, uh, keep moving the sticks. And not to mention that's where Shepard lives also because, you know, they call themselves – he wants to be known as third down in Shep now. So if, he, <laughs> if he's going to be living in the middle right. of the field, he's going to make some plays as well. Uh it's going to be interesting, like I said, if if they can average, if the, if the Giants can average four yards a carry, which would be amazing. Uh, every every three plays is a first down, so we're going to have to see what what happens and how they how they work how they work on it. Jason, you also have to understand okay. when you say sixty forty in terms of run versus pass, a lot of that is dictated based on game flow. You, know, you could go into a right. game saying you want it to be sixty forty, and if you trail early, you may not have the luxury to have that type of balance. So I think. That is all going to be dependent on how maybe the first half plays out to set them up nicely in the third and the fourth quarter. Right, right. And that's, that's, that's a good point. I have uh, one more point, and I'll, I'll take it off the air so you get other callers. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as our defense, I'm really looking forward to watching them play on Sunday. Um, I think we really are going to have a top ten defense, maybe top five. You know, now things can happen. Defensive rankings change from year to year, so I do get that. But I really think our, our defense can exploit their offense. Um, Teddy Bridgewater has been a good quarterback in the league. I'm not taking anything from him. Um, but he doesn't scare me. My thing is 
our 11 against their 11. They do have good receivers. They have two good running backs. But if we line up man-to-man, if we're saying, hey, start at your 20 or 25-yard line, I don't see how they go up and down the field against our defense, especially with Teddy not being a big-arm quarterback. And their offensive line isn't that great either. I know a lot of people have been talking about our O-line. While that is true, I don't think their O-line is dominant either. So I'm expecting big games from Dexter, Shelton, and Williams. And uh, see what you guys think, and I'll take it off the air. You know, this may be an oversimplification, but I think Lance and Howard will agree with me. If you believe this game is going to be one of those tug-of-wars and it's going to be close to the vest and it'll be low-scoring, well, then what does it come down to? It comes down to how is each team effective within the red zone? We know the Giants' red zone defense last year was number two in the NFL. Uh, I know that most of those players are back, and Patrick Graham is still the genius defensive coordinator (laughs) that he showed us last season. So I would think the Giants feel pretty good about their defense in the red zone to keep the Broncos out. So now we flip it to the other side and we say, well, what about the Broncos' defense in the red zone compared to the Giants' offense? Well, maybe the bigger issue there is that the Giants have not been a good offensive team in the red zone for a few years. Mm -hmm. And so if you're looking at that as the X factor in the game, I think that may be where it really emerges. Which team does better in the red zone? Because in a game that's going to be a close-fought fisticuffs kind of battle, that ultimately will decide it. And I know you, you can probably say to me, Lance, well, isn't it always important to get seven instead of three? Yes, I totally understand that. But maybe it's even more emphasized in a game like this. Yeah, well, to walk away with some type of production is what my counter to that would be, or my continuation of your point, which is if you get there, make sure you at least walk away with three because points could come at a premium. Because it's interesting, you brought up the Giants' red zone defense. Well, the Broncos' red zone defense was first in the NFL. They had the best red zone defense. Teams only scored 48% of the time Mm -hmm. touchdowns. And both red zone offenses struggled. The Giants were 31st, the Broncos were 27th. So you actually have two teams coming back But once again, I think Denver's defense, Paul, has changed a lot more than the Giants' defense in terms of personnel. So that's maybe a bit of a wild card. Broncos have a different quarterback in there, too, which is why I didn't really talk as much about that unit. Because uh, defensively with the Giants, it's virtually the same. Broncos have had some changes. And on offense, I think Denver's had more changes than the Giants have had. I think that defensively, I think the Giants have gotten better because you spend another year in the, in the system and you know more about it. I, I think that you know they, they did have a top-ranked uh, red zone defense. I think they're going to be better like all around. They know what's expected of them. They know where they're supposed to be. And it's not as hard to get signals when you're not you know thinking about it as much. Now you just be more reactionary. So I'm expecting better things from the defense. I know the personnel has changed a little bit, but I'm expecting better things from the defense as your as the year goes on. As far as the offense goes, uh, uh, Galladay, um, <laughs> right, uh, is a red zone receiver. Well, you would hope that Galladay and Rudolph <laughs> can, Ru- can do something the, down there. Rudolph, you hope so. Rudolph, red zone, that's right. what he did. The in, red in zone the reindeer, zone. I get yeah, it. Yeah, so yeah. – that's that's got to give the quarterback time to throw it though, Howard. It doesn't take long with those with those two plays. Those are three step drops. You. Those I are three you. step drop passes. So you have the two guys that can affect the red zone the most. Uh, I'm always a component of like trying to run it in, but 
for a quarterback and he wants to score touchdowns that way. So you have the opportunity there. It's going to be interesting to see. Like I said, it's going to be you get teams that are coming out as healthy as possible. It just depends on who's the healthiest and who's ready to go. Well, he certainly has two prominent targets, to your point, mm-hmm. that he could throw up to and that you would hope would help the red zone efficiency since that was a struggle because it was a lot of factors that played a role as to why the Giants struggled in the red zone. Part of it was, yes, they didn't have their full arsenal of weapons. You could certainly point to that. You didn't have Saquon Barkley. But I think another thing that hurt them, Howard, in that area was penalties. And that, to me, really makes no difference who the personnel is. That's mental mistakes. And then turnovers. So, you know, those are things that can happen regardless of the personnel you have out on the field, and that's what has to be avoided, especially against a very stingy Denver defense because it goes back to Paul's point. If Paul's saying, okay, maybe this is not the type of game where it's got to be touchdown every single time, but it's got to be points, okay? You have to walk away with something to justify the drive. It's not one of those games where you could say, all right, you know, we'll have a turnover here or there, and we'll have two lengthy drives, and we have absolutely no points to show for it because the difference between two field goals could very well be the difference in this game. I think that you're partially right, but I think, that again, with, with the receiver, Galladay, with, with the tight end, Rudolph, and having guys of that caliber in the red zone that you're going to have a lot more confidence throughout the offense. I think last year with no Barkley, with, with, with you know offensive line maybe struggling, uh, maybe jumping off sides or whatever, if you got – went from a third and, and two to a third and seven, everyone got a little nervous, and they may yeah. jump again. I think now it's like third and seven, we've got a little more room to operate. Let's, that's let's the get plan, the, Howard. Yeah, they, that's the th- plan. That's what, I think that's <laughs> going to be the difference in, in the offense a little bit. I think Daniel has matured a lot as a guy, right? Uh, we're, you know, Chubb. Lance, NFL Network is just reporting brand-new breaking news that Bradley Chubb did not participate in practice yesterday because of a bad ankle. They're saying new right now on the graphic on the screen, although that's Wednesday's practice and today is Thursday. Maybe they didn't get that report out until this morning. Uh. Well, I wouldn't read too much into that, Paul, because I actually I listened to what Fangio had to say to reporters. He also has had some legal issues over the last few days. I don't know if you saw he had some traffic tickets. I did. That was a big reason why he did not take part in practice because I don't think he was at the facility on time and they were sort of holding him back from that standpoint. Everything, at least, that I've heard out of Fangio's mouth, and once again, there could be new development, so I'm not saying that report's off base, but he's been ultra-confident that Chubb, his ankle is not the lingering issue. Okay. It's more of the off-the-field well, issues. That's the danger. We're in studio here. We have the sound down, and I just read the graphic, and it looked like they were making <laughs> sure. a big deal out of it. But if you heard audio, then I will trust you. Yeah, well, I'm going based on if that's the bottom line from yesterday's report. And you're right. He did not practice yesterday. But the reason why Fangio indicated that he wasn't going to be an active participant was because he was taking care of his off-the-field issue and they didn't want to overwork him if he wasn't with the team the entire time. Lance, day. if Chubb doesn't want to play Sunday, it's okay with me. <laughs> well, I'm sure you're not going to complain in Giants fans. Mode. But something tells me Vic Fangio is going to have a complaint about that and he's going to do everything in his power to get him on the field. But at least the early weak indications are that Chubb and Noah Fant will be good to go because those are the two guys and right. Noah Fant I'm referring to the Broncos tight end those yeah. are the two guys because Von Miller's over the injury that yes. was something that happened yes. way before the season started last year and he took part in the preseason yeah. Chubb to your point he's been dealing with the ankle but from what I've heard it's more of the off the field issue that held him back yesterday Gotta so clear those can... parking tickets 
Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, listen, Howard, maybe you could give him a tip or two. You know, no, you've... I, uh, no parking tickets. Don't even well, no, I'm not accusing you of parking <laughs> tickets, but you know how to navigate the New York, New Jersey metropolitan area, which is the hardest area, I think, sometimes to find spots and so forth. So, yeah. you know, maybe you could give him some advice. Given the circumstances, I'd rather see t- Chubb get towed away, actually. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, That's okay oh, look with at you. this. The puns that are rolling off the tongues today wow. on this program. Right. Oh, man. Woo. We're already in mid-season form. Forgive us of our shortcomings. Yeah, well, okay. Well, you had to go in that direction. I mean, you know, it's with you guys, it's either or. I get it on both ends, so I'm not necessarily surprised. As we try to return to the topic at hand here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, and we transition out of that one, in all seriousness, the other thing that I think is connected to what, guys, we've been talking about is the Pat Shermer continuity factor and the Pat Shermer knowledge of Giants personnel. I'm curious your thoughts. The continuity factor I'm referring to is the fact that he and Teddy Bridgewater were together in Minnesota. So even though it's a new quarterback, I don't look at it as a lot of newness across the board because Teddy knows what this offense is all about. He was with Pat Shermer for at least two years. I know Shermer started off as the tight ends coach in 16 and then took over for North Turner as the OC and then in 17 was the OC for the full year. But Shermer's knowledge of the Giants personnel, I went back and I looked. There are seven Giants players on defense that Pat Shermer coached and worked with extensively. Now, it's a new scheme, but I think there is something to be said about knowing the personnel and maybe knowing some of their strengths and weaknesses. And by the way, here's the seven players. Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, Lorenzo Carter, O'Shane Zimenez, Julian Love, Sam Beal, Julius Peppers. Those are the seven guys that Pat Shermer crossed paths with at least for one season while he was the Giants head coach. So I guess my question is, guys, how much of a factor do you think that would be? His knowledge of at least the person. I think it's a whole lot of a factor because you've got to understand something. When Patrick Graham came here last year with Joe Judge as the Giants' new defensive coordinator, he basically totally revamped the Giants' defensive scheme and what they're doing. I don't see the Giants doing anything similar at all to what James Betcher was doing on defense. It's it's kind of like, you know, only five guys can play basketball, but watching like LeBron and, and the Lakers play versus watching Clay and, 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 and Steph out at, at the Warriors play, it's it's the same people out there, but they're, they're doing it differently. And I think that's probably the best analogy I can give. He, he was here, he saw the guys, but they're going to be in different spots, doing different things. Uh, he, he, all he can do is watch film from last year and try to diagnose how to play against them. He can't look at them and go like, oh, well, you may be slow with your hips and over here because if you do that, you'll get sacked. <laughs> that's, that's just going to be the way it works. You know, Howard, maybe something else too. Most of the guys that you just mentioned, Lance, they were really younger players sure. who had yet to really develop and mature at the time Shermer was here. They're, you know, in that first three years of development as an NFL player, if you become a long-term NFL veteran, it's those first three years where you significantly change and mature yeah. and become a much better player yeah. than what you were before. Absolutely. But like I said, the, the scheme itself just drives away any thought of him being there. He's, he's, he's just looking at a new team. I think in terms of the development point, yeah, Lorenzo Carter, O'Shane Zimenez, and then they got hurt last year, so you don't even have a lot of film to go by from last year. Yeah. I would say of the two guys, of the seven, I should say, I think Leonard Williams and Julius Peppers, Jabril Peppers, excuse me, I think of the two guys because they've been in the league for many years. So those guys, when Shermer was around them, I think you had a pretty good feel 
for who they were as players at that point compared to Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane Zimenez who have come a long way, Paul, as you mentioned, because of their development. Didn't Leonard have his best year ever last year? He did, yeah. Okay, so Absolutely. That, it doesn't apply. Well, but, I mean, the guy did have seven sacks with the Jets. It wasn't like he was a throwaway guy prior to coming to the Giants. Okay. I mean, he certainly proved that he could be productive. I'm with you. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. He had a career year, Howard, last year. But I think when Pat was with him here with the Giants, he still had a number of years in the NFL where you could say, okay, I, I think I have an idea of what he could do effectively. Yeah. I don't think that's well, crazy. He, he had him for what, half a season? He had him for half a season. That was the year that they and, acquired him mid-year. And yeah. I think we would both agree they didn't use him like they're using him now. I mean, part of what Leonard Williams has told us, in addition to him fully developing as a player, is the fact that the Giants use him more effectively to maximize his talent. Yes. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna slam James Batcher, but I think it's fair to say there were a lot of players who didn't get maximum uh, usage out of their potential when he was the coordinator. Well, that's what players usually say when they're when they're playing bad too. So. <laughs> that is true. It's a nice convenient out. Yes, yeah, the DC. It's yeah. easy to say that when you're like, oh, well, I didn't get anything done. You know, that guy hasn't used me right all the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> Two zero one nine three nine four five one three. That is the telephone number. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino, Howard Cross with you here. Let's head back to the lines. Mike is in New Jersey. Mike, welcome to the program. What do you got for us? How you doing, guys? Very good. You're right. Uh, guys, look, I don't want to beat this to death because uh, I know it's been talked about and talked about it, but uh, the offensive line situation, I mean, I don't care if you bought the brought back the resurrection of Johnny Unitas or Bart Starr or whatever. We all know it's awful tough to pass or run the ball when you're being you have 500 pounds of defensive linemen on you. And uh, they sign all these guys that uh, you know are down the field players that need time to, for routes to develop. It's just it's just uh, you know just beyond me that uh, something dramatic hasn't taken place with this offensive line. Over the last couple of years, there's been some really good offensive linemen and free agency. As a matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, there were some of the guys the Giants were interested in the draft going back a few years uh, that they got beat out on, and some of them were free agents. And I just don't understand the philosophy, and then the you keep on hearing, well, you know, uh, we think we've got a good line and they're going to develop. Yeah, I know the party line, but it still comes down to the nitty-gritty. If uh, your quarterback's getting chased all over the place, how are you supposed to uh, rate this quarterback when you have the troubles you have on your offensive line? Is it is it fair to rate him good, bad, or indifferent? Uh, you know, I just don't it, – it just, it's just mind-boggling. I know, but like, unfortunately, and, and not knocking our guys or, or praising our guys, but if you look around the league, right. it's everywhere. Offensive line, it's yeah. just hard to build. You, you know, look down in Jacksonville; they're they're going to get that kid killed. Uh, they won't even let yeah. they won't even let the kid in Chicago play. <laughs> they're like, uh, you know, Andy Dalton, just go in there. You you got it. Don't don't worry, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, but I thought you said yeah. it was a competition. No, no, it's not a competition, Andy. You won the job. Kid, come over and stay by us where it's safe. Go ahead, let's see what happens. Like it's it's bad everywhere. It's like so trying to get guys to go. I, I think the Giants have tried to build an offensive line. And when you say that there are guys out there in free agencies that are floating around, uh, you have to always remember, unless it's like a contract issue itself, they're not floating around mm-hmm. because they're great players. They're floating around because somebody else came in to, to, to took their spot. Somebody could do the same as they can do 
cheaper and they're not willing to play for less. So you got to figure that out. So it, it's a lot to do with, you know, much to do about nothing. They were picking guys up in Chicago that hadn't played in years. And it's like, hey, you want to come back and try to play? So guys are coming back to try to play. Uh, the Giants did pick up a couple guys. They retired. They're like, I don't like it. Like, I don't like working yeah. like this. Uh, you know, not, you know, so you're, you got the guys here. Uh, the you know, despite their level of uh, efficiency, that are willing to work at it and work to get better at it. And that, you know, appreciate Coach Judge, you know, pushing them to get better at it. And, you know, and Pat, you know, pushing them to get better at it. So it's going to be interesting to see how they how they grow once they kind of all are on the field at the same time. Because, unfortunately, some, you know, injuries and whatever else has kept them off the field at the same time. And I, and I would like to also add that the last preseason game, they played pretty well together. Uh, they moved the ball well. There's a lot of surge and short yardage plays. Uh, they protected the quarterback. They moved the ball up and down the field. I mean, they played pretty well together. That was against Cleveland, a team that people are predicting to, you know, maybe play in the AFC Championship game. So, yeah, I, 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 I'm optimistic about them. I'm not going to say they're going to be great, but I'm optimistic that they're going to be serviceable. This is not a comment on the Giants, but in general, I think almost every team, short of maybe a handful, would tell you if they could upgrade at least one of the five spots in their starting offensive line today, they would love to do it because that's just the nature of the game today. Remember, because of that last CBA and because training camp has so much less hitting than it used to, (laughs) well, what is the position, and Howard can back me up on this, what is the position that most suffers if you don't go through repetition? Well, it's the guys in the trenches because what do they do? They hit. They're physical. Well, we're not having a lot of physical hitting in training camp anymore. So how are they supposed to develop, especially younger players? Those guys are going to have much more uh, of a curve to learn and to develop than a receiver will who can come out here and throw in seven-on-sevens, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and do individual drills against ghosts and everything else. I mean, you can throw and get timing with a receiver much easier than you can get an offensive line to start hitting people because they won't let them. You could see the difference in, like, you know, you could see it in college football specifically, the teams that practice hitting and tackling to the ground. Sure. As opposed yeah. to teams like, I got to make sure these guys are safe because we don't have that many guys. We don't have the depth that we need. So they protected their guys. You saw it all across the league. You're like, okay, well, those guys must have been killing each other in practice because they're killing each other out here on the field. Like, look at what UCLA did to LSU. Mm-hmm. UCLA, like, looked, looked oh, yeah. like a great, all of a sudden, this this powerhouse team. I'm like, LSU kind of shorthanded. They're trying to protect some guys over there. And all of a sudden, you play against a team that's practicing hard every day and tackling to the ground. That's that's the difference. So the hardest thing for for players to do uh, is the combination blocks. The hardest thing for players to do is to tackle, because you Absolutely. you haven't you haven't tackled anybody. And, and what I said earlier in the show was the hardest thing for these guys to do this year around the league is going to be edge blocking, because you can't cut guys on the edge anymore. So it's going to be interesting to see how the backs handle, how the receivers handle it. A receiver's coming up on a safety. He was able to come. You know, if he's in the range, he could cut him. You can't do that anymore. You, and receivers are going to be like, wait a minute, so I got to block the linebacker now, really? Like, I can't cut him on the, when I come around? I'm like, no, you can't. You got to stay in front of him. He's like, oh, okay. So guys are going to be like pulling straws and breaking shoelaces to, before they come around or they hit that guy. See, see, <laughs> see, the point is, in short, there are a lot of factors that have 
made it more difficult to maintain the highest quality of play week in and week out from the very get-go. That's just the nature of the game today. Mm. Yep. Well, and also remember, Shane Lemieux suffered the knee injury early in camp, and Matt Pear came into camp with a back issue. So you didn't even get to get all the snaps you wanted out of those guys, and those are two guys entering their second year in the NFL. So you could draft guys on the offensive line, but then the responsibility is to develop them, and I think they were hurt because of the injuries that piled up. That was something that they weren't necessarily anticipating. Now, Mike, I don't know what free agents you were referencing, but just to piggyback off of Howard's point, if you are a top-tier offensive lineman, you're going to be given the franchise tag. The team's not going to let you go. That's it. Okay? It's just it's not happening. For example, the only guy that changed hands this offseason was Orlando Franklin Jr. Orlando Brown Jr., excuse me, because he didn't want to play right tackle because you had Ronnie Stanley come back for the Baltimore Ravens. And Orlando Brown Jr. said, I'm a left tackle, and they had to orchestrate a trade with Kansas City. So Kansas City got him via trade. They didn't get him outright yeah. as a free agent. Joe Tooney, who also signed with Kansas City, he was given the franchise tag by the Patriots. And I'm talking about an interior offensive lineman the previous year. This year, they decided not to tag him. That's the only reason why he hit the market. The bottom line is the great top-tier consistent offensive linemen do not hit the market. So any of the guys that you were speculating about, and I don't know if you have a name or two, in all likelihood was a guy that maybe was at the tail end of his career with his respective team well, or was a journeyman. Lance, look, look at the, the top offensive lineman by name, by name only because he's on the back end. Russell Okun is still out there right now, but he's played longer than yeah, Grandma sure. Moses, yeah. and that's probably <laughs> why nobody wants to sign him. And he's been with a lot of teams. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's so hard. there's a lot of it, factors. It, it's hard to stick with a team. It's hard to be out there, especially offensive line. The, the world's changed so, so much in football. So when guys aren't happy with their contracts, and they let it be known. It, it's hard for them, hard for the team to sign them. Like you know, look at Watt today in, in Pittsburgh. Like is he going to play in the first game? He's so important. Well, Pittsburgh historically hasn't done contracts during the season, especially extensions. It's going to be interesting to see how that works out. So yeah. you're getting that with offensive linemen as well. Uh, if you get a good one that's out there, it's because he's unhappy with his contract. Uh, if, he's, yeah. if, if he's not unhappy with his contract, they sign him and he stays in place. An offshoot to this whole lineman question, and it's not so much about acquiring new guys, but when we talk about the continuity of a line, you mentioned Shane Lemieux just a few moments ago, Lance. Well, he's taken very few reps with the Giants starting five. I mean, think about this. They were playing Wiggins at left guard. Yep. They played Ted Larson at left yep. guard. Yep. How do you think that impacted Gates and Thomas, who have sure. this guy in the middle who wasn't their guy? They mm -hmm. had two substitutes during the whole preseason who were, were you know, were, were fitting in there. That impacts those guys. It's and, just part of the deal. And Coach Judge has said many times he needs to get Lemieux more reps and he needs to get him more in, involved so he can, you know, build a continuity. It, it's just tough. Yeah, he said the same thing about Matt Parrott, Howard, yeah. too. Another guy that hasn't gotten a lot of snaps, too, because of injury. So they've had things working yeah. against them, in particular talking about the Giants. And, and that's not an excuse. That's just reality. That's just sure. how, that's, but that's what everybody's dealing with. That's right. The, yeah. so well, most I, teams I, I, are. What, I think they're going to be, like I said. One thing I can tell you guys is my son-in-law was a ex-All-American, uh, lower division uh, football player, uh, uh, offensive lineman. And I have great conversations with him. Uh, is, and, is he available? Uh, he, is that what you're saying? Make sure you get your agent's just It's great to talk to him because he knows what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. sure. and, you know, we, we talk about uh, different stuff on the line, and 
it's just great. And the, the other, the one last point. I know you guys have been kind enough to keep me on here, but the the, the uh, when was the last time, the last time you could remember that the Giants had a plug, a draft and plug offensive line? Was it Snape? Was it Pew? Was it? Uh, I mean, you know, with the high picks they've had. Don't get me wrong. I love Barkley. I love some of these other guys, but well, Snee and Deal both started by the, the offensive line. It's amazing that you can't you can go up and down the roster, and who's there? Yep. You know that you would say that was a that was a great pick, a great fit, a need pick, and whatever. I know you could say draft need versus best available. But there's got to be some kind of happy, happy medium. There has to be. Well, think think about this: when you see teams that are struggling and, and trying to make it through through the leagues or have a few bad years in a row, they're dependent on the yeah. draft to rebuild their team. But they seem to be always drafting at the top of the draft. <laughs> so you know, yeah, you, you, you you're getting guys, and you're you're putting your hope and your and your money into a guy, and then the guy has to come here and he has to produce. And you're hoping yeah. that the guy that you've been watching, the guy that you've been scouting, the guy that went out there and did whatever he was doing, there's all the measurables and everything goes on, is going to be the guy. I lived through, like, since 1989, I lived through every draft. And every four or five years, they'll have a great draft. But that's every yeah. but that's every team. Like, you don't hit – like, some teams – the, the teams that are drafting at the top of the draft, I think I said this to Lance or maybe I said it to the Feagles before, the teams that are drafting at the top of the draft are picking the quote-unquote top players every year, correct? Sure. But yeah. you notice yeah. that the teams that are like after 10 down seem to get the guys they say of great value. This guy's a good value guy. And those guys want to play for a long time. Because if you don't play excellent or over the top and you're the first 10 to 15 picks, you're almost a bust. <laughs> and people start thinking of you a bust. Like you don't get a chance to develop. Like you got to you got to show up and be the man day one. And if yep. you're not, you know, I, my good buddy Derek Brown, you know, who played tight end here, sure. was, was a first round draft pick sure was. from uh, Notre Dame. Uh, Aaron Pearson, uh, same year drafted from I think from mm-hmm. Washington. Mm-hmm. They didn't start. I started. Right. You know, they they played behind me. My I was a six round draft pick. Like we got to get we got to get guys in there that are better. You know, at, at playing tight ending, okay, go get some guys. I'll still be here, like, <laughs> like, and, that, and and that's what you're that's what you're dealing with. You're drafting guys, and in hopes that they're going to be the guy. Well, for example, Snee and Deal, yeah. who immediately started and were here a long time, won a bunch of games, and got rings. Yeah. Now, on the other hand, Justin Pugh went west of Richburg. Were offensive linemen who started immediately, and their careers didn't quite their careers didn't quite go as well. What pick was Deal? Yeah. Well, he, he was a fifth rounder. He fifth rounder. Okay, okay. What pick was Snee? Second. Oh, so they weren't first round Second. picks. No. Okay, so that's kind no. of my, that's my point. <laughs> so, like, oh, well, he was asking who's the last Giants offensive lineman uh, yeah, to but, be but, plug and play and do yeah, really but, well. But the plug and play is a theory that you're going to pick them up in the first round every time. Oh, yeah, sure. Right? You, you, yeah. That's that's what we assume the plug and play is. You, we don't assume that after the third round that you're going to be plug and play. You'll, right. you'll, you'll be serviceable, but you're not a plug and play guy. Yeah. So that's kind of what they're looking This at. is true. And, Mike, appreciate the phone call. Thanks mm-hmm. so much for weighing yeah, in. Yeah, because, lot, I mean, they Take did care. plug in Justin Pugh and Weston Richburg. Unfortunately, it didn't pan out the same degree as David Deal Correct. and Chris that, that was my point.
Yeah, so I wouldn't necessarily word it as plug-and-play because the Giants have had a lot of plug-and-play offensive linemen. But it's more about did they carve out seven, eight years at that position and stay healthy? That's the other caveat connected to things. Yeah, so Healthy's you know, tough. <laughs> well, well healthy's tough, but it's important. Durability is almost more important than skill because if you yeah. can't stay on the field, it doesn't matter how talented you are at mm-hmm. the end of the day because you're going to have to find another option. And yep. there are some teams that have the luxury of depth, so therefore in the draft, they can develop those guys that you were talking about, Howard. There are other teams that when they draft high, they need to find the guy to contribute immediately, and they don't have the option to put them on the sideline for a year or two and develop them. So that's also something that needs to be taken into consideration. I think think the only player that you draft that you need immediately that, that has to play immediately when you draft him in theory is quarterback. And you're drafting because, okay, we need a new option. I think every player that you draft, I don't care how good he's supposed to be, he's supposed to be a guy that you're just drafting in hopes that you can use him right away. But if you're going in saying, I'm going to use this guy right away, like, look, there's the difference between Mac Jones, Zach Wilson, uh, the kid in Chicago, and the kid in Justin and, Fields, and, Trey and Lance. Yeah. Trey Lance. Like, you, know, you drafted all these guys high. Mac Jones was not supposed to play. Mac Jones is supposed to be backing up Cam Newton, but okay, we're going to use Mac Jones. Zach was the only one that was supposed to be Zach, and of course Trevor are, are the only two guys that were supposed to be okay. We have to, we need these guys tonight. That like, hey, can you start? Can you? We're going to send you the playbook on your way over, and you're you keep it with you in your dorm room when you come here. So we need yeah. you that bad. Uh, but outside of that, everybody else is like, okay, we'll figure it out. We'll we'll work them in. That's kind of how it works. Sure. That is going to wrap up Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. We'll be back up and running again on Friday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. A reminder that today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. Gentlemen, always a pleasure going back and forth. Look forward to doing it again shortly. You got it. See you later. All right. For Paul DeTito and Howard Cross, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Stay locked to Giants.com, and we'll speak to you on Friday. Have a good one.